This year, I traveled a lot. I went to Los Angeles and San Diego and Orlando, Columbia, Chicago, Charleston, Las Vegas, finally Wisconsin for a golf trip, plus three more big trips outside the U.S., a trip to London, Italy, and Punta Cana. And every time I go away, especially when I travel abroad, it changes me in some way. I did an episode about this, but I see things differently, right? Because different cultures do things differently. That makes sense. But I notice things that I've never noticed before when I see things being done differently, both in the restaurants I visit and in the way that I seem to receive that hospitality. So I'll pause here and say that if this sounds like I'm bragging, it is not. A bunch of those trips are for work, either visiting clients or speaking at conventions. But yes, some of those were for family travel. And I recognize that for many people, travel is a luxury. For me, it was for a very long time. But about four years ago, my wife and I made a deliberate choice to travel more. And we set goals for ourselves for how to make that a reality financially, uh, time-wise. And I work very hard for the opportunity to see the world. My wife works very hard for us to have the opportunity to see the world and for our son to see the world. But I promise you, it wasn't always that way. I'll explain more in just a second. Plus, I'll share all of my key takeaways from my year of travel, all of which I promise we're going to be able to apply to our own businesses. Don't go anywhere. There's an old saying that goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a podcast with answers for anyone who's looking. Thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close, and this is Restaurant Strategy, a weekly podcast dedicated entirely to the hospitality industry. We cover marketing, operations, and just about everything in between. Each week, I leverage my 20-plus years in the industry to help you build a more profitable and a more sustainable business. I also work directly with operators all over the world through my group coaching programs to help you address and overcome the specific challenges you face in the industry. Curious to learn more? Set up a free 30-minute strategy session at restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. Let me show you how simple it can be to run a profitable restaurant. Again, restaurantstrategypodcast.com slash schedule. As always, you will find that link in the show notes. Now, You work hard to make sure your restaurant moves like a well-oiled machine. From managing staff to tracking food costs, your work is never-ending, especially when you're trying to improve your profit margin. That's why I'm a big fan of Spot On. You might know them as a point-of-sale company, but they're a whole lot more. With Spot On, you get a seamless restaurant tech solution that boosts revenue and manages costs. From handhelds that are known to drive a 30% increase in sales and bigger tips, to commission-free online ordering, to time-saving labor management tech, they've got all the tools in one integrated system, plus a customer support team that actually answers the phone. Spot On is trusted by thousands of restaurants from Michelin-starred Single Thread to your local brew pub and just about everything in between. Running a restaurant shouldn't mean sacrificing the passion that got you here in the first place. Spot On's tech will get you out of the weeds and get you back to your guests. Visit spoton.com slash chip to learn more. That link, of course, is in the show notes. I worked in restaurants pretty much all through college, and then I moved to New York City in 2003. I have spent my entire adult life 
working in hospitality. And so that has meant late nights, that meant uh, weekends, holidays, and hardly ever time for a proper vacation. Neither my parents nor my wife's parents live here in the New York City metro area, so many of our quote-unquote vacations over the last 20 years really have just been spent visiting them or hosting them here at our place in the city. In fact, aside from our honeymoon in 2005, we had never been on a vacation, just us, until 2019. Now, 2019 is a year worth acknowledging. See, the year before that, back in 2018, my wife and I had a serious conversation about life, uh, about our lives, our lives together, uh, our life then with our son, and uh, our priorities. Um, and I admitted to her that my priorities were changing or, or, or had changed. Um, our son was three at that point, and I'm sure that had something to do with it. But I said, I, I feel like I don't travel enough. So at this point, my first time I was ever abroad uh, was in uh, after my sophomore year of high school. I went with my best friend and my mom and uh, my best friend's family, uh, who was from Italy. And we went to Italy for almost three weeks. And uh, that trip changed me. It was one of the best three weeks of my life. Uh, I still remember so many moments of that trip. And that was, I don't know, what, 25 plus years ago? Um and I remember telling my wife this, and I said, I said, I just, I love travel so much. It's so important to me, and I don't do it. We don't do it. We didn't do it because we couldn't afford it, right? Or we felt we couldn't afford it. The bottom line is we never made it a priority. So yes, it was something we wanted, but I kept putting it off. I kept saying to myself, rather, uh, whether it was out loud or just subconsciously, well, well, when this happens, when X happens, when I have X amount of money, well, then we'll travel. We'll do a lot of travel. I'll be able to do that. And it's the wrong way of thinking, right? Because I wanted to travel and that wasn't happening. Um, I wanted uh, my son to be able to travel. I wanted him to see the world. I knew, again, how much it impacted me and I, I knew it was gonna, gonna impact him. Um, I, I never really had the chance to travel when I was younger um, and it's something I wanted to change for him. It's something I wanted to be able to give him. It's something my wife wanted to give him too. But again, we, we never traveled and that was on us. We, we just felt like, oh, it would happen at some point down the line when we had enough money to travel, when we had the time to travel. Because again, back then we were both working in, uh, in the service industry, right? We made our career in service. Um, and so it was uh, a lot of time and it was a, a, a lot of money that we just didn't have. One of my best friends, Chris, he uh, he traveled a lot throughout his 20s and 30s. He's been to like, I don't know, 30 or 40 different countries in the world. Um, and he would always joke. He said, you buy the ticket and you're going. So just buy the ticket and then you're going to go. You're going to figure out how to do it. Even if you got to book the ticket six months in advance, nine months in advance, a year in advance, you book the ticket, you're going. And then you will figure out how to do it. And so in 2018, uh, that that's basically what we did. Um, I said to my wife, I said, uh, I think we should go spend the holidays in Paris. And she sort of laughed at me. I was like, okay, we'll just go spend the holidays in Paris. I said, great. So you're on board. I'll go, uh, I'll go book the tickets. And that's what I did. I went into my office, opened the computer and, uh, and I booked us tickets, uh, to go, uh, visit, uh, Paris, um, for the holidays in 2019. I did. I just booked the ticket and we went. Now it was way in advance. It was like, I don't know, like nine months and we booked the tickets in April, I think, and we weren't going until December. So we had plenty of time to figure it out. We had time to find our Airbnb and save up the money that was required to do it. Uh, and the bottom line, honestly, is we found dirt cheap uh, uh, airline, uh, uh, dirt cheap flights 
Uh, we found a really cheap Airbnb and we had a great time because we flew for cheap and stayed for cheap. It meant we could actually spend our money there on experiences, dining out, going to museums, um, really enjoying ourselves when we were there. Again, I said at the beginning that I know to many people travel is a luxury, and for me it was too. So I don't say this lightly uh, when I say that we travel a lot now, but that's been a very deliberate choice to make. And now, maybe you don't care about travel, and that's fine. That's great. My point here in relaying this story, right, this is the beginning of a, of a broader conversation I want to have here, because I want to share some of my experiences, the good and the bad, uh, from my year of traveling, because I've been to a lot of different places this year. Um but before we do that, I wanted this, I wanted to use this story to, to really talk about proper goal setting. Because the bottom line is, if you want something, you have to name it. And you have to make it a priority. And once you figure out where you're going, you can then find a way to get there. But you can't figure out a way until you figure out where you're going. It sounds obvious, but it's true. And, and it's true for uh, not only our personal lives, but our professional lives. And I hope that's something that you take away from this episode. We've been talking a lot about goal setting, um, setting routines and habits. It's something I talk a lot about my uh, talk a lot about with my um, with my clients this time of year. Um, but it's true. In order to figure out how to get there, you got to figure out where you're going. So you figure out where you're going, put a plan in place to get there. That's true for no matter what we do, whether we want to lose weight, whether we want to travel more, whether we want to make more money in our restaurant. You got to figure out how much money you want to make, and then you got to put a plan in place to get there. So as I look back over this year, specifically uh, all the places I got to travel to, um, I want to break down all of my insights, we'll call them, into good and bad, right? The good things that happened um, that I think we should be able to uh, learn from and apply to our own business. And I want to share that with you. Uh, and then I also want to talk about the bad experiences that I had while traveling because I think we can learn from them as well. And I'm guessing some of them are going to resonate with you guys. I hope it does. And you say, oh, okay, I'm going to stop that. I'm going to I'm going to fix that in my uh, in my own business. So first, I would like to start with the good, mainly because I am an eternal optimist and I like to find the good in everything I do. So here are a handful of things, uh, six things uh, that I noticed while traveling this past year that made an impact on me in some way or another. First one, uh, I got to talk about Disney World. I know I did a whole episode on this, but I traveled to Disney World back in January. My parents actually took us uh, for a trip there. They wanted to take my son, so the five of us all went. Uh, we had a, a phenomenal time there. Uh, we spent a week uh, down there uh, on the resort uh, in all the parks. Uh, my feet still hurt from that trip, but we had a great time. Uh, most importantly, my son had a great time, and my parents were able to spend a lot of time with him. The thing that really resonated with me there, aside from some of the other, uh, the hospitality and some of the the, the uh, above and beyond uh, touches they did, which I've talked about, which I'll mention again in just a few minutes, but the big takeaway there was their contactless ordering and payment system across the entire property, across all of the resorts, all of the parks, right? So they got an app, you get the wristbands, that gets you into your hotel room and helps you order food, pay for food, pay for merchandise, retail items, whatever you want it to. You could pay for it all right there on those little wristbands they give you um, or on your phone. Uh, and either it just, uh, you paid for it with Apple Pay or something like that, or you preloaded a card, or it all went back to your, uh, your hotel room and you just paid for that charge uh, upon checkout. 
it was absolutely seamless. I bring this up because just a few short years before, when we were in Paris in 2019, uh, we took my son to uh, Disneyland in Paris, and it was the opposite. So in December of 2019, somewhere between December 2019 and January 2022, this company, now I know, big, they've got tons of resources and infrastructure, but this company over the course of three years figured it out and it made such a difference, right? So this contactless system was so seamless. I could order food, right? I could look, oh, we're gonna go over and try to ride, it's a small world. Well, it's over in this part of the park and we're getting hungry, so let's order food that's near there and it'll be prepared and we'll just say, we'll click the button that says, you know, let us know when you're here. And so we let them know when we were, I don't know, 300 yards away. And by the time we got there, they said, great, your food's ready, come to window number four. That's amazing. And I know uh, and I know that might not sound like much because again, Disney's big, they got tons of resources and, 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 and infrastructure, but it cannot be diminished. It was so seamless and, and we talk a lot about um, technological solutions and we talk a lot about how we don't like technology because it's gonna take away from the, the, in-person, um, the in-person hospitality and the opposite is true. It sounds counterintuitive, but if we let our people, right, I'll back this up and say, if we let the computers do the things that computers can do well, really better than people, we then free our people up to do the things that they can do, which is to really offer the level of hospitality and service that we deserve. Certainly at Disney, when you're paying 100 bucks, 120 bucks, 140 bucks a ticket to get in there, you deserve a lot, right? So we deserve hospitality. And I think if we can use technology the right way, we actually free our people up. And that was never more obvious than in Disney World. I give this talk uh, all around the country uh, about uh, utilizing technology and uh, I use McDonald's as a case study and um, and how uh, by them introducing their kiosks, it actually freed their people up and they were actually to offer a, a better, more hospitable um, experience. And I think the same was true at Disney and I'm guessing they're learning the exact same lesson and it did not go uh, did not go unnoticed. It really, it really made such a difference. It made for such a seamless experience uh, while we were there in the parks. Uh, the second thing I want to bring up, the second insight is that, uh, and I talked a little bit about this uh, a couple of months ago, but when we were in Italy, so we went to the Amalfi Coast. We stayed at this little villa up on the hill outside of Sorrento, and uh, we landed. Um, we landed on a Friday evening. Uh, on Saturday, we went on a whole day boat ride all up and down the coast, and we were exhausted. We get off the boat, and we were just starving. We wanted something to eat, and we asked our um, uh, the boat driver, uh, who was our tour guide. We said, "Hey, where's really great seafood?" And he's like, "Oh, right here, right where I drop you off." And we were like, "Oh, really? Like the best seafood in Sorrento?" And he said, "The best seafood in Sorrento is right here. I'm going to drop you off right there, and uh, and just and just go and and get a table. There might be a wait because it's very busy." And I said, "Okay." This place was a hole in the wall. And, and I know that's sort of the joke, especially when you're traveling throughout Europe, right? Some of the best meals you have um, are, are these little hole in the wall places. But there were probably 12 places, 12 restaurants all along the port there. And this one was uh, totally um, uh, totally uh, normal looking, again, just sort of a hole in the wall, nothing special about it. And yet that's where our uh, tour guide said to go. So that is where we went. We walked up, we gave him, uh, we, we told him we were a party of three uh, and how long. And she said, oh, probably like 20 minutes. And we said, okay, that's fine. We'll wait. 
And we noticed there were other parties also checking in and putting in their, you know, their names. Oh, it'll be two people. Oh, it'll be five people. Oh, it'll be four people. And she quoted times and all of that. So we're sitting there. We, we find a little bench to put my, uh, to let my son sit down on. And we're there for maybe 90 seconds. And she comes back over with two glasses of white wine. And she shoves them in our hands. And she says, here, just a little something for you to, uh, you know, to, uh, for you to enjoy while you're waiting. And I watched, and she did it with all the other people who were also waiting at tables. Now, this was house wine, right? Just a, just a simple white wine. But what a profound touch to do that. Now here, two, two things that happened here. Number one, they were giving us a drink, inviting us to, right, to begin the hospitality, right? That part of the experience was waiting right by the port as the guys were coming in with the fish from the uh, from their day, right? All the fishermen coming in and you could smell the ocean and the sun is setting and it's beautiful. That was part of the experience. And she's saying, here, begin your experience, right? Number two, and I'm not a fool here, there were 12 other restaurants or 11 other restaurants along this row. I'm sure this was a ploy to keep you there. Well, if they've got a glass of wine in their hand, they're not going to wander down because what happens if she quotes 20 minutes and it's 15, 20, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, you might start feeling the itch and saying, well, you know, let me just wander down and see if one of these other restaurants can take us, right? Because that will happen, undoubtedly. We've all done it at one point or another. And when they put a glass of wine in your hand, it sort of calms you down. And it says, hey, you're not going to leave now, right? I've already, given, I've already given you free wine, right? And guess what? If it ran late, she came over and, you know, with a bottle of wine and was, uh, and was topping us all off um, for the ones that, uh, that wanted it or needed it, right? So number one, she was beginning the hospitality, right? That's what you do when somebody comes in. When I have guests over to my house, that's what I do. Hey, welcome. It's good to see you. Can I get you a drink? What can I get for you? That's what we all do. That's what a good host does. And that's what she was doing. And I just, it struck me as we were sitting there and I said, how many other restaurants say, oh, it'll be 20 minutes. Thank you. We'll call you when you're ready. Not beginning the hospitality. It's so easy for us to do that. Number one, she was beginning the hospitality. It cost pennies to pour this, this, you know, basic white wine, right? And then it was also keeping us here. She was playing defense instead of us going down the street wandering down a couple doors and finding a table at another restaurant she was uh, she was keeping she was keeping us there such a simple thing to do and i would urge you all to learn from that lesson because it still has resonated with me all these many months later the third thing I want to talk about is when we were just in London uh, and we were at the theater. And what's interesting is watching the cultural differences because I live here in New York City. Obviously, we have all these Broadway theaters. I've seen a ton of Broadway shows, uh, partially because my uh, my past life in the theater, um, partially just because I love going to shows. And that's just something that we have access to here in New York. But in London, most people or many people show up early and they all have a drink beforehand. The bars in these theaters were not an afterthought. If you go to a Broadway theater, and I would assume that many listeners um, have been to a Broadway show, the drinks are sort of an afterthought, right? It's like crappy wine in a plastic cup. You can't really get, right? You can get a scotch and soda, but here, these bars were fully stocked and people showed up early. We went to two different shows while we were in London and it was the same both times. In fact, we went to a Chelsea match. Uh, we went to Stamford Bridge to see, uh, to see a soccer game or football. And uh, it's the same thing. Everybody showed up like an hour, hour and a half early because there are all these bars open. Everybody comes in and has drinks before the game and then goes out to the game and just sits there and watches the game. Uh, and I just thought that was really cool. It just changed it. It added a different dynamic to the... Um, 
uh, to the experience. Everyone showed up ahead of time. Rather than rushing in and rushing right to their seats, they came in early, they relaxed, they checked their coats or they got their seats, they went and got a drink at the bar, and it just, it was... It was cool. It was merging, you know, entertainment and hospitality, uh, which for me is um, is a is a natural fit. So that was really cool to see. Number four, the fourth point I want to make about the, some of the good things was when we were in Dominican Republic. My wife went for uh, my wife and I went for just a quick, uh, quick long weekend to uh, Punta Cana. And we stayed at one of those all-inclusive resorts. Um, and and so everything's provided for you, right? Like the drinks, the food, the, everything. It's whatever you want. Like you just go to the bar when you're ready for a drink. You order room service when you want stuff. You go to a restaurant. There's always something open. But there was one main uh, lunch restaurant, right? It was like a buffet. And uh, our lunchtime waiter, the very first day when we arrived, uh, took care of us. And he was really great. And he then looked for us every single afternoon after that. In fact, he remembered us. He knew where in the room we liked to sit. He remembered our drink orders, uh, remembered that we liked sparkling water, and it just sort of got us all set up every single day. We were just like taken care of. In fact, on the third day, he just started reserving the table for us because he knew we liked it. And the fourth day, same thing. Uh, our last day there, he, he ended up reserving the, uh, the table for us. It was so, so great. It takes so little to make people feel special. And that's what we do. That's our that's our job in hospitality is to just make people feel special because you know what? People are special. We are special. Each of us are special. All of your employees are special. All of your guests are special. So let's just make them feel special. And it takes so little to remember that we like sparkling water and that, uh, that we liked uh, this specific white wine that they were offering. Like it takes so little to do the right thing. Number five here, uh, again, I want to go back to my, uh, my trip to Italy. Um, but this was certainly the case in Paris a couple of years ago, and it was the case in London just a few days ago. Um, the way they treated kids, specifically the way they treated my son in so many of the restaurants, and in particular the nice restaurants, because we had the great fortune of going to a couple of Michelin star meals. We went to a couple of other nice restaurants that didn't have a Michelin star, uh, but were up, up on that level. Um, Man, they treated him like a prince when he walked in. When we walked in, they didn't talk to us. They talked to him first. He was the one who checked us in. They asked him if they could take his coat. They wanted to know if he wanted to go uh, meet the chef, go to a tour of the kitchen. Nobody offered me a tour of the kitchen. Nobody asked if I wanted to meet the to meet the chef. But my son, every single time, it was like three or four different restaurants that we went to in Italy. And man, they just they just scooped him up and treated him like such a little prince. He also got little gifts. We were at a, a restaurant uh, just outside of Sorrento, and at the end of the meal, they let him pick out a pasta and a pasta sauce uh, and a little bit of cheese to take with him, and they put it in a, a fancy gift bag. Um, they gave him a little book about the uh, about the estate, about the, the restaurant where we were. It was, like, awesome, right? So here's my takeaway. Kids are part of the family. They're part of our families, and they're part of your guests' families. And yet, I know it's inconvenient sometimes to take care of them. Even so... We owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our guests to take care of them. And I promise you, if you just do a little bit, it will make it will make your guests meal. Now, here's the thing. Here in New York, we've been to a handful of Michelin star restaurants. And I got to tell you, never has anyone treated him like a prince. Never have they scooped him up and taken him back to the kitchen and given him a tour and introduced him to the chef. Never has he gotten little gifts. Never has he gotten a chef's hat, which is something he got in Italy. Never. Now, is that because they're inhospitable at those restaurants in New York? No, I don't think so. But I think shame on them because they're not going above and beyond. They're not thinking 
about exceeding the guests' expectations, and they're not treating the kids like a key, uh, like a key part of the family. I'm telling you, if you take care of the kids, if you engage them, treat them special, it will blow your guests away, and you will reap the rewards from uh, from time and time and, and night after night after night. That was one of the things that really uh, that really st- uh, stuck uh, stuck out to me was the way that these places treated kids. And I got to tell you. For a couple of people who like to dine out, right? My wife and I like to dine. We've spent our lives in in hospitality and now in service. Um, we like to eat at nice restaurants, um, and I want to be able to share that with my son. That is hard to do if he's not engaged. And the fact that they went out of their way to engage him, because somewhere in their brain they recognize that. Hey, how do we make sure the parents are going to have a good time? We make sure first that the kid is going to have a good time. It made such a difference. Right, the last point I want to make here uh, about um, about the good, the, the good insights that I took away is that uh, the best experiences were the ones that understood that the purpose of hospitality, again, is to exceed the guest expectations. So everywhere I went, all the different places, the places that resonated, the places uh, that I remember that I talk about are the places that understood that their job is to go above and beyond. The places that did the little table side flourishes or had the little extras or uh, or had unique presentations of dishes, things like that, it made such a difference. And there were way too many uh, specific cases to use uh, as an example. I will just say that time and time and time again, those were the places that blew me away. And I, and I really was surprised that not more places do it. I gotta tell you, it's the something that I talk about a lot on this show, talk about a lot with my clients. We have to find ways to surprise and delight our guests, to give them something that they can't get anywhere else. And yes, even if you're a pizza place, even if you're just a sandwich joint, just a deli, just a pasta place, whatever, you have to present a reason for you to exist. Why do you exist? Why does the place, why does the world need another pizza place? Why do we need another sub shop? The, the bottom line is we don't, unless you supply an answer to that and say, well, there's no sub shop that does this. There's no pizza place like ours. And the places that got that are the places that I remember. And no, they're not all fancy, fine dining, Michelin star places. There were plenty of hole in the wall places um, that did it just right. Like the story I told you about, the little hole in the wall seafood place um, that put a little glass of wine in our hands while we were waiting for our table. Man, what a difference that made. That's a story I'm still talking about now. Uh, what, seven, eight months later, it makes such a difference. Now, we're going to move on to some of the bad experiences I had last year while traveling. Uh, But first, a word from another one of our sponsors. Now, today's episode of Restaurant Strategy is also brought to you by Seven Shifts. Seven Shifts is a team management platform built specifically for restaurants. Great restaurants are built by great teams, and Seven Shifts is your secret weapon to better understand your restaurant, hit labor targets, and keep your entire team connected. With drag-and-drop scheduling, in-app communication, task management, tip management, and more, it makes restaurant work a whole lot easier. From back of house to front of house, managers, franchise owners, and larger corporate teams, Seven Shifts has benefits at every single level. Plus, it integrates with the other systems your restaurant already uses, like your POS system and your payroll. Turn your team into your competitive advantage. 
Restaurant Strategy listeners get three months absolutely free. Get started at sevenshifts.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, that's the number seven, S-H-I-F-T-S dot com slash restaurant strategy to get three months free and join over 30,000 restaurants using seven shifts today. As always, you will find that link in the show notes. So now on to the bad or rather just some of the things that I think could have been better. Now, first one, this happened everywhere. One of the common threads uh, that, that I found in just about everywhere I visited was the lack of attention from the servers. And I know what you're going to say. Well, it's been such a hard year to find good, reliable staff and to train them and blah, blah, blah. Like, like we got what we could get. It's no excuse. The lack of attention from servers specifically when it comes to second beverage sales. I talk about this a lot and it was so obvious. So recently in London, right? So I was just in London last week. I felt there were numerous meals where I would have happily ordered just one more drink, another beer, another glass of wine, but instead I couldn't because I couldn't find anyone to help me. This happened several times in Italy as well. Uh, and even some of the restaurants in Disney World, as much as they pride themselves on their service and their hospitality, I just couldn't find people. When our customers, our diners, our guests go out to eat, they are prepared to spend money. They want to spend money, right? And they are expecting us, the servers, the managers, the, 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 you know, the hospitality team to sell to them over and over and over again, right? So we shouldn't feel sheepish about that. We have to be on our tables and make sure our tables have everything they need. We have to anticipate their needs. So one of my real hopes is that we can solve this for the future. I'm guessing that this is not unique to just the handful of places that I visited this year. I'm guessing that you also struggle with this. I'm guessing that some of your uh, some of your servers struggle with this. So let's get this into our managers' heads. Let's get the managers working with the servers so that they understand they are gonna make for a better guest experience. They themselves are gonna make more money and the restaurant will make more, more money. So again, second beverage sales, uh, really focusing on dead glassware, dead plates, and, and always offering something else. We always offer something else. And no, this is not about over-serving. This is about being hospitable and making sure our guests have everything they need. Now, Another thing that I felt is that uh, often that the servers weren't in control of their stations. So most people, when they go out, want to be told what to do. They want to be led. They want to be guided. And it sounds counterintuitive, right? Uh, I'm in control. I'm, I'm the guest and I'm in control. I tell you what I want. But that's very rarely the case. Most times, our guests want to be guided. This is something I saw in Vegas. I saw in Orlando, London, uh, Sheboygan when I was on this golf trip, uh, when I was in Positano, in Sorrento, uh, and yes, even the Dominican Republic. And yeah, it's a it's an all all inclusive resort, but still the same thing. I wanted to be guided, and I wasn't. Right? Our guests want to be shown the best way to experience the restaurant. Certainly, I wanted to be shown the best way to experience the restaurant. Right? They've all, they've come all that way. This is something I like to say, right? They've come all that way to be with us, right? Either they've come down the street, they've, they've gotten in a plane and traveled to a different city. They've, they've traveled downtown, whatever it is. Think of it this way. Your guests have traveled all that way to get to you. They are now in our hands. And the hospitable thing to do is to now meet them halfway and lead them the rest of the way, right? So in the new year, I hope we can all get better about training our front of house staff to do this better. 
The guests will have a better time. Our servers will get more out of their jobs. And I promise you, the restaurant will make more money. Now, this first and second point, they go hand in hand because if the server is guiding the guest, truly showing them the best way to experience it, then they already know, they, they should know what's the next thing that they should have. What's the next thing the guests need to make sure they have a great time? This is such a big point. I can't stress it enough. I, I wish in the new year, I wish for all of you guys that you can solve this. Now, number three, the, the third point I wanna make here on the bad side is that some of the nicest restaurants that I went to were also some of the most underwhelming, which should never, never be the case. I'll give you a perfect example. In Italy, we went to a two-star restaurant uh, at the very beginning of our trip. And at the end of the trip, we went to a one-star restaurant, right? It was the very last meal we had. So we had two Michelin star meals, one basically on our second day and one on our last night. And they were completely different experiences. The first one was excellent. And the last one, I gotta say, was pretty mediocre, which from a one-star restaurant in Europe, it just shouldn't ever happen. But it was, it was mediocre. And see, the interesting thing is that uh, in between, we had so many unique experiences that blew us away that weren't from Michelin-starred restaurants, right? So the the first Michelin-star restaurant we went to, the two-star restaurant, blew us away. I mean, time and time again, what they served us, how they served us, the hospitality they showed us, the tour they gave us from their of their ancient uh, uh, wine cellar, the the gifts they gave my son, the, on and on and on, they blew us away. But then we had all kinds of other meals in between that also blew us away. The point, though, is when you go to a Michelin star restaurant, when you're spending that kind of money, your expectations are up, right? So we, we obviously, all of us, have higher expectations. The more money we spend, the higher our expectations are. So heed the lesson. Again, hospitality is about exceeding the guest's expectations. In order to do that, you first have to figure out what they are expecting, or you have to tell them what to expect, and then it's our responsibility to over-deliver. That's the third point I wanna make here. The fourth, fourth one is really important. I spent a lot of time talking about technology and what happened, what I saw a lot of is that technology was employed, but just didn't work. So specifically, most recently on our London trip, um, the, we were at the theater, we went to go see Wicked and there was a little QR code behind every single seat. So right in front of us, it was a little QR code and it said, scan this and pre-order your drink for intermission. I just thought, that's so cool. I got to try it. In fact, I had my wife uh, filming me while I was doing it because I thought I would use it for a little piece of content uh, on the internet, uh, but that was not to be because the system wasn't working. At least at our seats, uh, it wasn't working. I don't know if people could use it in the rest of the theater, but this was on every single seat, and this is like a 2,400-seat theater. It's the biggest theater in the West End, and these things were, in. I, I got to imagine, were behind every single seat, and Hours didn't work, which was frustrating uh, professionally because I wanted to be able to use it and talk about it, uh, but I am using it and talking about it in a different way. Uh, but then personally, it was frustrating because I just thought it'd be fun to order a couple of gin and tonics uh, to have at intermission because, you know, how, uh, how English are we? Um, it was frustrating that it didn't work. Also, at the lounge in Heathrow, uh, on our way uh, flying back to New York, um, we tried to get into the lounge and the lounge was full, which I'd never seen before. Um, but they said they had a wait list and I was urged to scan a little QR code and sign on to the wait list. That whole process took almost five minutes. So we're standing in line and the woman's telling us to scan our thing. We scan our thing, add our names to the list. And we say, well, how long is it going to be? And she's like, oh, it's probably going to be like 40 minutes or an hour. 
well, our flight was in like an hour and 15 minutes. Like, no, in an hour, I'm not going to come all the way down here and use this. It's going to be time to make our way to the gate. So we journey on. We, you know, we sign up for the wait list, but then we realize how long it's going to be. And we said, okay, never mind. So we start making our way uh, to find somewhere else to eat. It's almost 15, 20 minutes later. We make it all the way to the other end of the terminal. We find seats. We're sitting down. We're trying to use the QR codes at that new restaurant, which aren't working. When I get a text saying, come on back. Here's the interesting thing, though. It didn't say, come on back where? <laughs> so if I had signed, if I joined the wait list at a couple of different lounges, um, I wouldn't have known which one was calling me back. This didn't say, hey, Blump Blump Lounge at on the west side of Terminal 5 is ready for you now. It just said, come on back. Now, I only signed up for one lounge, so I knew where to go, but uh, it was pretty, pretty frustrating. So, and that was like 15 minutes later. If they had just told me it's going to be about 15 minutes, just hang out, I would have just hung out, maybe grabbed a cup of coffee or just sat there with my son and let him play Angry Birds on my phone. Instead, we walked all the way to the other side, sat down, were frustrated because we couldn't get that QR code to work and there were no waiters there. And then we came all the way back, all the way back to the lounge, and then we had a fine experience in in the lounge. Um, but it wasn't working. It's meant to be an, an efficiency um, and it just wasn't working. It drove me crazy. There were other times then uh, where when we talk about technology, where technology was not employed at all. Great examples. We went to this little um, uh, noodle shop in Camden. So we went to go up to Camden Market and we, uh, we went and got a little bit of lunch beforehand. We go to this noodle shop and they had a QR code for us to pay at the end of our meal. Yet we had uh, regular menus and a waiter came over and took our order and PS screwed up our order. Um, and so we could use the QR code to just pay at the end. But after all that, why don't you just let us put the, have the QR code take us to a menu and then we can order, we can view the menu on our phones, we can order via our phones and pay via our phones. And you save yourself that person, the person who screwed up our order anyway. Like it just, it makes no sense. And then instead of having that person take our orders, they can actually be there to take care of the guests, like get them more water, which we had to ask numerous times for. Get us another drink, which nobody asked me if I wanted another drink. So it was just like frustrating when, when technology was employed but didn't work. And then other times when uh, technology could have very easily been employed and just wasn't and the ensuing experience was clumsy that's what i'm talking about when we get to technology it has to be frictionless and i think there's a way of uh, of, of integrating it so that we uh, create better experiences um than, than we're so far getting finally then the last thing i wanted to talk about specifically when we talk about going to uh to europe uh was the reservation system overseas again specifically in, in europe uh, was really hit and miss so here in America, we're really lucky, I think, to have great partners um, like Open Table and Seven Rooms and Spot On and Talk and Resi, um, all these great programs, these apps that handle reservations and do table management and waitlist management, and they're great. But overseas, it was a, it was a mishmash of systems, and I didn't find any of them particularly user-friendly. Um, I found that some of them were meant for desktop but weren't uh, mobile-friendly. Um, which again, when you're a tourist wandering around cities, you know, all day long, and you just want to figure out where you're going to go for lunch or where you're going to do uh, dinner once you get out of this museum, it just needs to be easy. And guess what? I don't have a computer on me. I've got my phone. I've got my pocket computer. And uh, and I wished restaurants over there. And so I, I'm and saying this to all of you. Um, 
I hope that restaurants in the new year will think more deliberately about that user experience, specifically that experience at the very beginning of the customer journey. It is in our best interest to make that moment, that booking moment, as frictionless as possible. For all intents and purposes, that is the point of sale. That's where they agree to come dine with us, when they, when they agree to come give us money, and it's, it's so, so important. So listen, that's what I wanted to talk about. I wanted to share my experiences having traveled this year, having done a lot of travel, and trust me, we are not traveling next year. I don't think at all. We've, we are like, we are traveled out as much as I love doing it. Um, I think we're taking a year off. Uh, and you know what, I say that now, but but maybe I'll change my mind in two weeks. Um, but we gotta, we gotta save our bank account again. And, uh, uh, but we had a great time traveling this year. I feel really lucky to have been able to do that. Um, I'm glad that uh, my wife and I were able to make that a goal and make that a reality. And I think my son really got a kick out of it as well. Uh, listen, I appreciate you being here. I, I, I hope you're liking this new uh, two episode a week format. Again, interviews every Monday and these monologue episodes every Thursday. Uh, as always, I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you being here. I know there are a lot of different uh, places you could spend your time. I know there are a ton of great podcasts out there. I appreciate you making this one uh, a key part of your week. Appreciate you being here. Thank you very much. And I will see you next time.